This is an ABC podcast. Hello, Fiona Pepper here with Radio National Fictions. Today, the final episode of our Corona Tales series, and we're off to a share house in Toronto, Canada, in punk in a pandemic. ABC music documentary specialist Mike Williams shares the entire two-week history of a punk band born from boredom during quarantine. The history of punk rock has many beginnings, depending on who you ask. One thing's clear, though. Punk is a reaction. Punk's a backlash against bureaucracy, a pushback against pretension. Punk is a middle finger to the monarchy, especially Prince George. Canadians, a mostly well-mannered and canoe-bearing people, are not known for punk rock, and it's something they've often apologised for. Until now. In a large share house in Parkdale, Toronto, three women have started a punk band. There's Jess. Okay. Um, Jess has um, no tact. No tact whatsoever, which she is aware of. I don't know what people think of me. Christy. Christy's the matriarch of Galley. She makes puppets for a living. Very nurturing. And Kate. Kate is a tree planter, so, like, I think Kate, you know, has some punk vibes within her. Kate is very serious. She definitely takes the band very seriously and the drums very seriously, which is great. Okay, and how, how long have you been playing drums for? About uh, three weeks. Throughout the project, friendships would be tested. It's going to be a band in my house. I want to be part of it. There'd be regret. There's definitely some just like, quote, jamming, but it, it doesn't even sound punk. Betrayal. That's such a painful place for us all to go, to even think about right now. And behind it all, forces within... Oh, we are nothing without him. ...pulling strings. Emotionally, he's not... He doesn't really share himself all the time. Ripping relationships apart from the inside out. Did you ever resent them for that? No. Well, hmm. This is the true story of carnage. COVID-19 is putting a tremendous amount of pressure on those organizations because more people need help. The band started when Jess, Christy and I found ourselves in isolation during the quarantine in Toronto. I don't want to go out! I don't want to go out! Kate and I fled New York because of coronavirus to Christy's house. There was a drum kit in the basement. Kate was kind of just bored in our house and... And I decided that I wanted to learn a bit of drums. And Kate started just, like, banging on some shit. And then Christy picked up a bass. You can just, like, play one note and then it just reverberates forever, and that sounds cool, even if that's all you do. Just hopped on the guitar. I am the lead guitar slash only guitar. And we just started jamming. Bam, bam, bam. How soon into it that night did you realize, hey, we could have something here? It was honestly, it was instant. The band was just born. I was like, okay, great. Nobody knew that night how punk would change the next two weeks of their lives. What started as a jam session to pass time in quarantine became the lifeline for three Canadian women. It didn't feel like an intentional thing when it happened and then it became a really important intentional thing every day. A structure in the day and like a thing we had to do because nothing else. You know, none of us are working. I think also the fact that it, we were like beholdening ourselves to each other. 
by it being something that we were all doing, because it was everybody in the house at that point, it was just the four of us. It's inconvenient that to make rent, a fourth person lived in the house. By default, Jesse Corrigan became the fourth unofficial band member. Like, I think we all love each other a lot. And Jesse? Um, like, I don't know if he actually likes us that much. Jesse, who's our kind of band manager, band dad, um, he's the kind of the man behind some of the music. It was clear from the start this self-styled musical daddy figure was happy to throw his weight around. Jesse came down and was like, oh, yeah, Christy, take this. Here's an amp. I guess I was forced into being the band. Jesse put a bass guitar in my lap and said, you have to play bass. I think he showed me a power, several power chords. Jesse taught me my first drum lesson and how to do some stuff on the drums. Jesse Corrigan's well-known on the local Toronto open mic scene, performing everywhere from the Bovine Sex Club to busking on the pristine banks of Lake Ontario. You know, this is a band that is living together in a very stressful time who are also engaged in something that they all care about. And that's a recipe for tension. While it's true that Jesse Corrigan owned all the instruments and he gave everyone free lessons and he played a significant part in writing the music, his manipulation of the band is something that would unravel, much like the holes in a punk rocker's jacket requiring several safety pins to hold it together until such time that the hole becomes so big that no amount nor size of safety pin can effectively maintain the garment's structural integrity. On that first historic jam night, Kate, Christy and Jess gave collective birth to their debut song. The first song that we ever wrote was completely um, improvised. It was called Quarantine. Quarantine just happened organically. We kind of just made up the words as we were in the basement. And there, I mean, there weren't very many words to that one anyway. So that was pretty straightforward. That's what we were thinking about, and it was kind of funny and cathartic. It was immediately so much fun. Here we go. Now, now. That we just decided that we had to keep going. But to be a band, they'd need a band name. We were like, oh, let's sit down and brainstorm. We literally, Christy and Kate sat down with a piece of paper and then Kate was like, how about f-ing Carnage? And we were like, that's it. <laughs> it was in my subconscious, yeah. A one suggestion brainstorm. Boom, we will be f-ing Carnage. And that was that. My mom really didn't like the name f-ing Carnage. She was like, it's very, it's very inappropriate. But I was like, mom, suck it. The name was inspired by a song from Australian metal band Without Wings We Fall. There was this line in the band where he goes, Garnage! Garnage! Kate discovered the song after planting trees with one of the band members. What does Carnage mean to you? Oh, at the moment, it is pure nostalgia. Brent Otley from Warwick, Queensland, played guitar in the band. It was mainly Ryan, the singer, that put the... He did, like, all the lyrics himself. Okay. And it, what what language uh, did he did he speak? Um, just uh, English, primarily. 
Okay. Without Wings We Fall broke up a decade ago and only ever released two songs. But I was happy to let Brent know, like a seed planted in a Canadian forest, that their legacy lives. In your song, the band is called F***ing Carnage. Whoa, that's cool. Cool, huh? Yeah. The next day, like we woke up and, and Kate was like, it's time for practice. And I was like, whoa, we're in a band now because it's time for practice. Was practicing something you were even anticipating before you went into it? Even though I'm resentful of like the concept of practicing, it does give me a sense of authenticity because I'm like, the music business is hard, you know? sat around the table and Jesse put a timer on and said, you have 10 minutes to write a song, go. It was just like we all put our heads together, did our own thing and then brought it together and like everybody was just saying yes to each other. For their sophomore release, the band delivered in a big way, with boundaries. Boundaries happened as we were rehearsing. Well, boundaries is about... two-meter minimum and about staying away. But it's also about, you know, needing space for your mental health. Oh, but there was one thing we realized that made us a bit sad, which was that actually... Tune of boundaries, quarantine, boundaries. Like there are essentially the exact same, even though we tried so hard to make them different. Quarantine, boundaries. Like it's just like all our songs are actually the same. Welcome to the music biz, Jess. In the back of your mind, are you just thinking, look, this is just something to tide me over. I'm not actually serious about the band. Oh, for sure. I'm not serious about the band at all. <laughs> no. D no, no. Yeah, it's it's like really just a thing to do on a from a day to day. Okay. Do the other members um, know about that? <laughs> I think so. <sighs> okay. Um yeah. Yeah, it's uh I guess it's just it's, tough to hear when you're making a documentary about a band and then the band member says they're not even serious about the band. Well, you know, it's uh, it's hard to be serious about a punk band. You can't take it too seriously. So I'm the problem. Carnage chose to prioritise their image and public optics just as much as the music. They went to great lengths to dress and act like what they imagined to be punk. Their lack of basic research for the genre itself proved to be incredibly punk. The result was a film clip for Boundaries that can only be described as uploaded. At the time of this recording, it has over 310 views on YouTube. Fans were keen for more. Carnage is my favourite band. My favourite band is Carnage. This slaps. Um, I love Carnage. You want me to keep going? Is there more? This is smoking, somebody said. What else have you learned about the music business as a whole since you've been in the band? It's not about how many fans you have, it's just that you have some committed fans. 
what would you describe as your biggest musical influence? Probably Johnny Mitchell. Oh, sorry, I meant musical influence. I'm talking Lion King, Phantom of the Opera. Is there any of those musicals that you... West Side Story, Oklahoma. Maybe Mary Poppins. Yeah, okay. Once you know the Mary Poppins link, it's hard not to see its influence. Just like an upbeat chimney sweep, f***ing carnage chose to turn a terrible situation into an opportunity. Because sometimes a pandemic feels like you're stuck sweeping a chimney, surrounded in darkness alone, with not enough hand sanitizer, and no idea how long it'll take to finish. But while it's hazy and distant, there's always a light at the top of a chimney. When there's hardly no day, no hardly no night, there's things off in shadow and off way in light. After the success of Boundaries, the band were forced to make a decision. Continue with topical coronavirus songs or branch out, write about other things and risk alienating original fans. Christy, the bass player, was happy to roll the dice. I think it, it's better that it's not topical because there's, too, there's a lot of topical content right now and it's a bit annoying. I know, hey. Jess wanted to explore personal themes. I think the world needs a song about herpes. Why's that? I don't know, it's so taboo, it's so dumb, and, like, everyone has it. And while it's true, herpes has been described as a hidden epidemic, with up to one in five Canadians having the condition, ultimately the band avoided all virus-related themes. We had so much fun with Alpha Bleeder. There's something about her nobody can see. She's got influence over me. She dominates with an iron fist. My hemoglobin can't resist. Inspired by true events, the result was Alpha Breeder. Alpha Breeder? How would you describe that? So it's actually Alpha Bleeder. Uh, like it needs to not just be about like getting your period that's kind of boring. Like it needs to be a bit high concept, you know? An Alpha Bleeder. The bleeder whose everyone's menstrual cycles sync up to that Alpha Bleeder. Do you follow? Uh, yes. Oh, because I think Christy was feeling resentful of me because she was getting her period. And I was like, oh, it's probably because I'm getting my period and we're all like trapped in this house. She calls the moon with her secret ways and she won't even care if you bleed for days. She's a punk ass bitch. The line about she's a punk ass bitch and a free bleeder. That's my favorite one. She's a punk ass bitch. Ass bitch and a free free breeder. breeder. Bleeder, free bleeder. Sorry. After we wrote all the songs, I'd be like listening to like, I don't know, whatever, like Simon and Garfunkel. I'd be like, oh my God, they must have felt just like us after they wrote, you know, Scarborough Fair. But with the momentum came tension. Maybe it was the stress of a global pandemic. Maybe it was a lack of vocal range. Either way, the first cracks began to show. Jess, on that note, you go up, but you're supposed to go down. Jess? Do you think you can sing this? I'll try. Then we practice again. Jess, you still went up. You're supposed to go down. Oh my God, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so dumb. You're not dumb. We just have to try it again. Okay, I'm going to get it this time. 
Okay, let's try it again. Okay. E to C sharp. Okay, cool. I can do that. What's worse, though, was a fracture in the group. Jess and Kate had moved back to Toronto to get away from New York. They'd grown close during their time there. Imagine sex in the city, but with two Canadians and not a lot of sex. But we became sort of fast friends just this last fall. Oh, cool. Okay. Best friends. Fast friends. Yeah, and best friends. Yes. So, uh, wait, you're best friends or not? No. She is my best... I have lots of best friends, yes. It was obvious Kate's appetite for best friends wasn't sustainable. And for the purposes of this story, I assumed it had to stop somewhere, specifically with someone, specifically with a third band member, Christy. Is it awkward that Jess and Kate are best friends? Um, it's, it is a bit awkward that Kate and Jess are best friends, yeah. I was warm. How hard do you think it was for Christy going into this with you and Kate's relationship being so close? Oh, my God. Who told you about this? Bingo. Um, okay. Whoa. I don't know. I thought that it was fine because Christy and I have our own special relationship and Kate and I have a special relationship. Yes, granted, is because... But what Jess didn't know that I did was that Christy's overbearing need for connection wasn't her fault. The real problem here was Jesse Corrigan. Why isn't Jesse in the band? But the thing is, he is in the band. He's just not in the band. I think it was pretty clear earlier on that we were going to be an all-female punk band. Our band, as a bunch of dudes, maybe would just not work the same way. Why is that? I don't know. Male friendship just seems disappointing compared to female friendship. Jesse's penis wasn't his only problem. We also were not going to be exceptionally good at our instruments and Jesse was going to blow all of those things. Okay, at one point I said, this will be a great way for you to practice telling people what to do because Jesse is one of the most passive, deferential people I've ever met. Um, so he's, he's improved his passive aggressiveness quite a bit then? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for chatting. Hey, my pleasure. Face to face with the bovine sex fiddling music daddy. Uh, my name is Jesse Corgan, and I am the manager for f***ing Carnage. Um, maybe you can tell me where where this whole thing started. <laughs> I like it. You can, you'll get this story and then you'll get the real story. Let the mind games begin. In terms of music, yeah, I, I play a lot of bluegrass and folk music. I have very little experience <laughs> with punk music or any rock, really. Oh, okay. Um, right. Well, it didn't take long, did it? Finally, an admission. Jesse Corrigan is a punk-ass fraud. He was just so wonderful, truly. Sweet gentle, talented man. He made himself vulnerable and present. Incredibly supportive. How controlling is he? Not at all controlling. I am so happy to be a part of it. And uh, I'm really excited to, what's it called? Yeah, only do, only do that on the second time. The second time, okay. I was listening to some of the yeah, demos that uh, that you guys sent through, and I can hear your influence. So you actually, once when, when you start, yeah. don't change until the chorus. 
You're in there quite a lot, directing, guiding. There you go. Quite an active role in the in the band. I'm supporting them, and I'm trying not to like direct them too much. Okay, and you know, I can't say that I'm perfect at it. Like, I try to to what's it called? So I get he's a good musician, but how is he as a manager? He's an exceptional manager, actually. He's a okay, great. How many gigs has he got you? Let me ask you that. Well, you have to understand these are unusual times. Yeah, but any Zoom gigs or anything? There's plenty of that going on. Yeah, that's true. Okay, to be fair, he hasn't gotten us any Zoom gigs. Okay. Uh, um, any any radio airplay? Thus far, no radio airplay. Okay. Any no. talks with any record label or any type of uh, distribution platform? I'm not even convinced that he has those connections, honestly. Has so, he Has no. he even got a Spotify account? Maybe. Hello, this is Dorothy. Hi, Dot. It's Mike Williams here. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. How are you? You good? Thank you. Are you busy? Is now a good time to talk? What's up? So, I have discovered... Dorothy Markek is the music director for Double J Radio, Australia's authority on cool new music. She also happens to be a close personal friend of mine. Cool. Yep, yep. You could just send it through. What if you had a listen to it now and... Yeah, can't do it right now. It just so happens I have some spare time on my hands. A bit more important right now. Unsatisfied with Jesse's ability, I've taken the initiative to do what he can't. Maybe later today we could... I probably won't be able to give you an answer straight away considering... That's fine, that's fine. Just have a listen. Um, Tomorrow I'll do my best. A few spins on Double J would catapult the career of f***ing carnage. Look, I'll send it through through, and I'll call you back um, in an hour or so. Okay. Thanks, Dot. Yeah, maybe. Talk soon. Their fourth and final release saw early fans rewarded. The band returned to their pandemic theme roots. So yeah, bang trim uh, is about getting your bangs trimmed. <laughs> like I feel like this band has been really liberating because okay, ready, guys? Yeah. we just are like the One, dumbest lyrics are better. Three. One, two, three. Uh, what was it? it was like? Sitting around with nothing to do. Got my cigarettes and whiskey too. Light up my smoke and my hair gets singed. Guess it's time to cut my fringe. Bang trim when your forehead is tired. Bang trim when you're feeling expired. Bang trim when things get grim. I guess it's time for bang trim. Which is something that we see as kind of punk rock, but it's also just a really fast affordable way to change your look. But the song also saw them take on a whole new sound and it caused relationships to reach boiling point. I didn't want to do it at that point, but but at that point we had to because it was like, yeah, it was a goal, it was a commitment that we made. There were times where... I think everyone's just low energy, so weather. You know, the band just needed to take a break, that's all. (laughs) Mm. Okay, why is that funny? 
We were in such a bad mood. Like Christy was so moody. I was in pain. I was so moody. I really wanted to go outside. Jesse was like having an anxiety breakdown about coronavirus. And so we were all like kind of hating each other. Christy also wasn't happy with the new sound. Yeah, the acoustic nature of it, like a weird attempt at an old time or a bluegrass tune or something. Bluegrass problems sound familiar? It started out very kind of traditionally punk and then it, 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 it turned very quickly, Jesse, very quickly into a very kind of folk blues grass sound. Uh, I'm just wondering what your kind of role in that was. Um, I, well, that was all. So. Um, Luckily, they managed to channel the energy into the character of the song. In the end, Bang Trim was recorded in one take. Hello, this is Dorothy. Hi, Dodd. Mike Williams here. How are you? Oh, hey. Yep. Good, Mike. Double J Music Industry bigwig and close personal friend Dot Marquek was beating down my door to discuss f-ing carnage. Let's start with Alpha Breeder. Yeah, I think it was Alpha Bleeder. I think you said. Yeah. Anyway, um, production-wise, it's kind of way too, way too lo-fi. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Really? I thought that would have been a good thing. Look, look, it's kind of endearing, but, you know... It was clear boundaries was out of Double J's league. But there was one more chance. As a long shot, I'd pitched bang trim, knowing it would appeal to softer palettes. Jesse's bluegrass influence, although selfish, might end up being the band's ticket out of Toronto. This is Canadian punk rock's moment of truth. I've got to say, I was definitely, you know, toe-tapping under my desk, uh, probably from the third verse onwards. I think the novelty kind of started to wear off. Really? Um, Because the third verse is when it sort of got a bit more interesting for me. Went down to see my guy. When I got there, he wanted to say goodbye. Uh, Trim my bangs, you while you're at it, suck That didn't resonate with you? Uh, No, I thought, you know, I get it. I appreciate it, you know, as someone who's... Tempted to cut my own hair in isolation, I think, you know, yeah, if I heard that perhaps too many times, I'd kind of want to start tearing my hair out. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny, Dot. Um, well, I mean, it's funny you say that because this song alone has had over 200 hits on YouTube. So. Okay. Cool. Not long after the recording of Bang Trim, as fast as it began, the two-week quarantine was over. Jess and Kate left the house. My favourite band is Nobody's sure when or if the band will reunite. Sunset and evening star And one clear call for me Jesse said this smart thing, which is that anything is punk It's all about your attitude. And I was like, yes, you're right. I spend so much time caring about if I'm looking the part. But, you know, you look the part if you feel the part. I'm learning that from punk. You know, for me, it's been a great lesson, and it's never too late to pursue a dream, like being a drummer in an all-female punk band. Yeah, I think it was a really cool thing to do by accident. It would not have worked if we had done it on purpose. It also wouldn't have worked if we weren't living together. 
or if we had anything else to do. I will just look on it with great fondness. Like it was just this really special, weird time that just kind of came together in this super organic way. Okay, let's keep it going, keep it going, people. Guys, this is sick. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? It's been really liberating to do something that has been, has felt good, not because it's good, but because it feels good. The history of punk rock has many beginnings, depending on who you ask. One thing's clear though, punk is a reaction. And that it's just not really for anything. Like, I don't care if the band doesn't have a future, like. A backlash against baking bread. It's been really surprisingly special and. A pushback against puzzles. Also gave me somewhere to put my energy and my enthusiasm and my excitement during a time when, you know, a lot was changing and scary and confusing. Punk is a middle finger to a two week quarantine. I had my whole summer planned out. And a lot of people around me are in a lot of pain right now. But I think it felt really good to just like go do something like really stupid and loud that was sort of designed to give ourselves a good time and make our friends laugh. Tell her to That was Punk in a Pandemic, written and produced by Mike Williams. Sound engineer was Martin Peralta. You can hear more personal corona stories in Mike's podcast. Just look for Mike Williams and Friends. And this was the final in our series, Corona Tales. The series was edited by Sophie Townsend, and Sophie and I produced our many wonderful contributors. To catch up on any of the other stories, subscribe to Radio National Fictions wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Fiona Pepper, and I'll catch you next time.